Good morning, Christ Community Church. It's so good to be back with you. I've had a few weeks off, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to my friend Tyler Jones and Sam Kennedy and Matt McFarlane. I'll be preaching today on 1 Peter chapter 5, so if you don't have your Bibles, it'd be a good time to go get that. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're coming to an end of our section here in this great book. A couple of announcements. First of all, I just want to continue to thank you for your giving. It's really been remarkable. Year over year, we're over where our giving was last year. Most of you have migrated to giving online, which has been tremendous, or you continue to send a check in the mail, so thank you. Secondly, I want you to know that uh, the plan that we have outlined for July is still holding. I know the, the governor has kind of pushed phase two into three more weeks, but we're still planning on meeting together uh, for the congregation and the community on July the 19th, which I'm sure you know by now, but in case you don't, July the 19th, that's our first Sunday back. You'll be getting a lot more information about that. Uh, what's required of you, the times, the sign-up, wearing a mask, those kinds of things as time goes on. We'll have a, a Facebook Live event. You'll get information in the mail. Uh, so be looking for that, but July the 19th, you can put that on your calendar. And I want to say, I really think that's going to happen, but I, I, I sort of want to say, Lord willing, Lord willing, because things change, but we're hoping at this point that is going to be our first Sunday back, and then we'll continue on uh, from that point. Uh, we'll have a couple of prayer meetings earlier in July, uh, July the 5th and the 8th, that we'd love for you to come out to. And again, you'll get more information about that as, as time goes forward. Finally, there's going to be a little video following these announcements by uh, El Cuerpo, our, our ministry uh, to the Hispanic community. El Cuerpo means the body. And Liz Cooper is the person who leads that. And we always like to say around the staff table that Liz Cooper has a superpower uh, because somehow she gets a lot done in a little bit of time. It's amazing. And you're really going to be impressed with the way she has helped our church serve uh, this community. So uh, be looking forward to that. I want to uh, pray before we move on, especially for our local community leaders. Um, you, you know the kind of stress that they're under. And I think whether it's uh, from the coronavirus or the, the racial tension and unrest, the, the police chief this week having to fire three officers, the changes or potential changes in the sale of the hospital. I mean, all of these things kind of come together and they can create a disruption because it's, it's something's changing. And God has provided leaders for us, the mayor, uh, the city council, the police chief, those folks that really affect our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. So I want to pray for them this morning. Heavenly Father, you have, have given people to us. You have told us from 1 Peter to submit to these people and their leadership, to pray for them. And so that's what we're doing now. We're praying for their souls First, that their, their, their souls would be connected to the living and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We're also praying just for the common wisdom that you graciously give to all mankind. That as you lead these men and women who lead our community, whether it's 
decisions that need to be made for the hospital, decisions that need, need to be made for policing, decisions that need to be made for the good of the city from the mayor and the city council. Lord, I pray for wisdom. Pray that uh, for some sense of unity, both in purpose and decision. Pray that you would protect them and their families. Pray that you would help us, especially as members of, of your church, to, to fall in line and try to be supportive in whatever ways we can. Lord, mostly we just pray for your Holy Spirit to descend, to descend on us, to descend on our city, to help provide a, a blanket of peace and protection. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. El Cuerpo has been partnering with um, community organizations to reach the Hispanic community during this quarantine time of COVID-19. Um, Hispanics have been hit particularly hard by COVID-19, so we've been working to get food out into the community, masks, as well as diapers, baby supplies, that sort of thing. Two of our uh, big partners have been UNCW Latino Alliance and um, Nourish and See. We decided that there would be families who would be impacted because their parents would be working or wouldn't have transportation and the kids who are already food insecure would be more food insecure because the parents may not have the income that they're accustomed to and the kids definitely wouldn't have access to school lunches or school breakfast. So it was um, great that we were able to partner on the Latino Alliance and El Cuerpo with Christ Community Church. And a lot of volunteers stepped up and were happy to volunteer their time in a safe way to make sure that kids who were hungry got the food they needed. So schools closed on the 14th of March. We saw a quick rise in the number of kids who needed our program and families. We also saw food prices dramatically increase. Um, and that's those times when partnerships matter. People who, are, who have boots on the ground, like Latino Alliance, like El Cuerpo, like Christ Church, uh, we can't be everywhere, we can't do it alone. It, it, it takes an army of folks. One of the big events that we have hosted was a community drive-through. And basically we had different community organizations come set up in the Christ Community parking lot and uh, customers would drive through and receive a hot meal from Wrightsville Beach Brewery, pantry items, grocery type things, um, masks, diapers, children items from Christ Community. And we served over 300 families um, during that event. Together with all those wonderful partners out there, Nourish NC gave away 3,300 pounds of farm fresh produce, a farm that was literally picked in the fields two days earlier and packaged, and then 4,400 pounds of groceries, uh, none of which is expired, no junk food, and again, things that are um, family friendly to eat around the table. The last thing that we've done is um, through donations from members of Christ Community, we've been able to pay um, offset some costs for certain individuals in the community. Um, so electric bill um, that needed to be paid or part of rent. Um, and one of the biggest things was a few families that tested positive for COVID 
we were able to provide them groceries since they couldn't go out of their house. Um, so we did a no contact grocery drop off a few times. Any time on a weekly basis that we need help, we need trucks or we need volunteers or just to provide support to the community, El Cuerpo has been there. But this partnership has been outstanding for the Latino Alliance and the Latinx community in general. So thank you to Christ Community for the support and um, we will continue to share all that we're doing and continue to partner with other community organizations to reach the Hispanic community of Wilmington. Good morning and welcome Christ community. We're going to sing a song, begin our service. Oh, praise the name. All right, sing with me. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his
Christ Community Church. My name is Mark the Cosmaker. I have been attending Christ Community for 12 years now, and I currently uh, am blessed with the opportunity to serve as the executive pastor. I will be reading this morning's passage, which comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please take a moment to contemplate God's word. There is an old African proverb that says this, when an old person dies, it's like a library burns to the ground. I love that proverb. When an old person dies, it's like a library burns to the ground. I found that to be true. My, my mother died about 35 years ago, and I couldn't tell you how many times in the last 35 years 
I've thought, oh, I wish I could access her stories. I wish I could access her wisdom or counsel. I could, I could read from her life story or, or maybe because my mother lo- loved the kitchen, I wish I could go to that library and get one of those recipes. But now that library has burned to the ground and what's left of it is just my memories, what, what I have retained from her time uh, when I was talking to her. Peter understands this proverb. And here in this last chapter, as we close out our time in 1 Peter, he understands that he's about ready to exit life's stage. And he knows that he has a wealth of information. Just, just think about the kind of information Peter had in his library. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to sit and talk to Peter all night long, late into the night around some kind of campfire, and just access his stories about his time with Jesus? And to try to gain his recipes about how to walk faithfully with Jesus or to, to read in to um, him in counsel or wisdom on how to live this life. And he understands that and he doesn't want all this library to be lost, so he decides he's going to write a couple of letters. And here we have them in the, at, towards the end of the, our Bible. And he's trying to help us and he says what his, his purpose is right at the very end of the letter. Chapter 5, verse 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. And then notice that phrase, stand firm in it. It's like an exclamation point. I'm I'm writing to you. My whole purpose to writing to you is so that you would know the true grace of God, that you would be rock solid certain about that true grace and then you would stand on that rock that never shifts. Now, this, this idea is also starts at the beginning. So the, the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the certainty of the gospel is what Peter wants us to know at the beginning and the end. If you look back to chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, listen to what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy... He has caused us to be born again into a living heart, hope. You can just feel Peter wanting to shout it like, like a, a herald coming out. I, I just can't wait to tell you this most important thing. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this we rejoice. So Peter wants to bookend his letter to say, hey, the most important thing is the truth of the gospel. And we've got to stand firm on that truth. I want to say it to you in the beginning. I want to say it to you in the end. And so Peter, as a shepherd of God's flock, he's concerned that as he leaves, as he exits life stage, that maybe some of the people won't stand firm. Maybe they won't trust in the truth of the gospel. So he reminds us of three things here at the very end, that there's something that we must be in. There's something we must wear. And there's something that we must do. Those are the three points I want to cover for us this morning. First of all, there's, there's something we must be in. Peter knows that in order to stand firm, we have to be in an organized community, which is what we're going to call, what the Bible calls the church. And you see that in the first 
five verses. Now, the main point, and we'll get to this in a moment, of these five verses really is talking about the character of the people in the church, both the leaders and the congregation. But I don't want us to miss what's obvious here is that this leadership structure and the congregation make up an organized group of people. They're, they're called the church. And Peter understands if we're going to be able to stand firm, we're going to have to be in this group of people. We're going to have to be in the church. And remember, it was Peter who stood in front of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus declared to his disciples, I'm going to build my church. Remember, the gates of hell hell are not going to prevail against it. So he hears Jesus say, I'm going to build my church. And then he turns around to the disciples and says, I'm giving you the keys of this kingdom. I'm giving you the authority to, to lead this church movement into the future. And the church, so the church is designed to, to keep us in the truth of the faith and to lead us home. The church is a, a shelter in this world that's so stormy, so, so chaotic, especially these days, that we come and say, yes, I, this is what I believe. This is what I'm standing on. This is what I can trust. Even when all the other structures of my life, political structures, cultural structures, may, maybe the structure of my own health begins to fade, this is the one thing I can stand on. So this church that you and I are supposed to be in is the place that we, we hold on, we stand firm, we're reminded of our faith, and it brings us all the way home. You may be familiar with this famous mountaineer, a guy named Sir Edmund Hillary. In 1953, he's the one who got to the top of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, first. And so he's very famous, uh, the man who climbed the tallest mountain in the world. Sir Edmund Hillary. Perhaps you don't know uh, the person that helped him get there. His name is Tenzing, T-E-N-Z-I-N-G, Tenzing Norgay. This was a guy that was from that area and was a great mountaineer himself, and he was the one who helped Hillary get to the top. And at one point in their expedition to get to the top, Hillary has to jump over a very deep chasm. Now, the jump wasn't very far, but it was a long way to the bottom. In fact, you couldn't even see the bottom. And, of course, you had to do that in order to get to the top occasionally. And so Hillary makes the jump very successfully. But what he doesn't realize is that the place that he's jumping on isn't stable. And so as he lands on the ice on the other side of the chasm, it quickly gives way, and Hillary starts plunging into this bottomless pit. Tenzing, thankfully, is roped on to Hillary, and Tenzing wraps his rope around a nearby rock, a stable place, and actually saves Hillary from plunging to his death. And then they keep going, and they make it to the top. This, to me, is a, a perfect picture of what the church really should be. You and I, at different points, we have to, to jump these deep chasms in our lives. We're not sure about our next step and, and we jump them and sometimes we're successful and other times we're not, but, but we don't want to be falling into this deep abyss. So we're connected to people who help us. When it feels like my world is falling out from underneath me, I've got somebody else who's stable, somebody else who can wrap their rope around the rock of Jesus Christ and actually save me from falling into darkness.
That's, that's the hope that Peter has. That's what he wants from the church. Now, whether you're a mountaineer or a follower of Christ, you need to be connected. You need to be in. In order to stand firm, you're going to need to stand firm with other people. And I think this has probably been the, perhaps the greatest challenge of the last three months is that you feel disconnected. Don't you feel disconnected? You feel disconnected from the church. These people that maybe you didn't even know all that well, but you regularly saw them. They sat in the section that you sat in every Sunday. And there was something safe. There was something about like I got tied back in every Sunday to, to the truth. No matter how far I may have wandered in, in six days, there was a place I could come back and I could remember I'm, I'm holding people up or, or somebody else is holding me up. And I hope that we'll be able to get together soon and regain that sort of stability. Somebody called me this week and just said, hey, I, it actually sent me an, an email saying, can you call me when you have a chance? I'm in trouble. And so really the person called to say, I'm just down. And I was talking to my friend and, and they said, you should call Pastor Paul because he always lifts your spirits when you talk to him. So I sat in my car in a, in a park and we talked for about 25 minutes and we just talked about life. It wasn't anything super dramatic. Uh, but at the end of the time, the person said, okay, I, I feel safe now. And so I hope that if you're um, in a position where you feel like you're, you're falling in that, that, that dark chasm, you call me, you call the church, you call somebody that helps you because they're on a stable place. They can wrap their rope around Christ and, and hold you firm. Now let's just briefly review these character traits of the, the leaders and the congregants here in this passage. Peter has just concluded a long section on suffering. You see that at the very end of chapter 4 when in 19. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. I love that phrase. To the faithful creator while doing good. So even when you're suffering, you're going to entrust your soul to God. That the suffering isn't going to be your primary focus. Your primary focus is going to be God. And I'm entrusting my soul there. So coming out of that, then Peter turns his attention to the character traits of the elders. It's like he's talking to these elders. He's trying to, 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 to take them by the shoulders and say, Guys, I have personally witnessed, you know what he says, personally witnessed the sufferings of Christ myself. And now you and I as fellow elders, as under-shepherds to Christ, we're, we're going to have to suffer. We're going to have to suffer well. And when we're under pressure, there are certain dysfunctions that come out. And Peter wants to warn the leaders of these dysfunctions. When, when it feels like the culture is beginning to shake and things are happening, the leadership could fall, easily fall into this feeling of, I'm, having to be, I'm leading under compulsion. See, he doesn't, well, he doesn't ever want the leaders to act like victims, but volunteers. Why? Well, Jesus was not a victim. He was a volunteer. He, he gave himself as a volunteer for us. 
And so as leaders of the church, no matter how hard it gets and no, how, no matter how difficult, no matter the kind of pressure, we don't want to uh, give the impression that we're here by force, we're under compulsion. I didn't really want to lead, but I'm stuck in this place. That's not the kind of way he, Peter wants us to communicate as leaders. We're not here under comp compulsion. We're, we volunteered for this because of our chief shepherd. We don't do it for shameful gain. In other words, we're, we're here not to grab, but to give. We're not domineering. We're, we're looking for ways to get under people, not over people. You know, you're under pressure, you're tired, you're, maybe you're a parent or a leader, and you just become domineering. Hey, we got to just get this done, and I, I work to get over people instead of under. And he says, I want my shepherds, my leaders to work to get under and not over. Now, Peter and, and his disciples, his friends, they had to learn these leadership lessons themselves. If you look back in Mark chapter 10, there's a fascinating little conversation where two of the disciples, James and John, take Peter aside or take Jesus aside and they say, hey, we just have one little request. And you get the feeling that they're kind of secretive and whispering this one little request. And here's their request. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, that's a simple little request, right? I mean, we only have one request. You just do what we say. And what did they ask for? Power. We want the, the seats on the right and left-hand side of you. That's the closest we can get to power. And to top this whole comp bad conversation off, when the other disciples, including Peter, found out about it, they got frustrated at these two people, James and John, because they wanted the positions of power. And so Jesus has to call a come-to-Jesus meeting, literally a, a come-to-Jesus meeting. And a very important statement he makes, he says, okay, you know how the Gentiles work? They lord it over people. They don't try to get under, they try to get over. Yeah, yeah, we know how that is. Yeah, not so with you. If anyone wants to lead in my kingdom, he has to be a servant. He has to work to get under. If anyone wants to follow after me, anyone wants to be great, they must be a slave to all people. That's greatness in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Peter had to learn. That's what Peter's trying to give away before the library burns down. He's trying to give this to the elders. Second, the congregation. Peter offers really just one word of instruction here. Uh, submission. See that in verse 5. Uh, reading through the letter, we're familiar with this word because he's used it a couple of times. Chapter 2, verse 13, be subject to the rulers. We talked about that several weeks ago. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, wives, be subject to your husbands. Uh, the Greek word's a fun word, hupotasso. It's a fun word to say, hupotasso. It's a military term and it means to remain, to arrange in formation under a commander. So you might think of a, a military parade or a military maneuver and they're trying to all work together uh, in sync with one another and the soldiers have to arrange information underneath the, the, the commander who's at the tip of the spear 
or you might think more simply to, to fall in line. That's the idea. Now obviously in any leadership, leadership structure, whether it's of the political structure, whether it's the structure in your home, or whether it's the structure in the church, we're not following, follow, falling in line with any structure that's against God's Word. But those who are leading according to God's Word, we're going to, as one scholar says, uh, hupotasso means a submission is an inclination to yield. I wonder if you feel that in your, in your spirit. I have an inclination to yield. I'm working to, to fall in line under. That's the role of the congregation. I'm, I'm inclined to yield to the leadership of the church. Now, I, I think this passage here is providentially provided for us in June of 2020 because we're headed into a, a difficult season trying to reopen the church. Somebody asked me yesterday, hey, has closing down the church been difficult? And, and I said, well, not as nearly as difficult as is it going to be to reopen because everybody has different opinions on how it should be and when it should be. And, of course, the governor comes out and, and says something, and that changes everything. There's all kinds of ways for Satan to work in disruption and disunity into our congregation. And so I think this, this passage providentially comes to us. So we're, we're challenged both as leaders and as congregants. Leaders. Are you trying to get under? Are you trying to learn how to serve? Or in this time of pressure or crisis, are you trying to get over or domineer? Members of Christ Community Church, are you inclined, inclined to yield? To say, hey, there's things that I don't know about, that they're making decisions that maybe I wouldn't make, but I'm not in the room, so I'm just inclined to yield to the leader's decision. Are the leaders being servants? Are, are the congregants learning how to incline themselves to yield? It's a great question that we need to answer in these next few weeks. Second thing, there's something you need to wear. You see this in the end of chapter or verse 5. You need to, in order to stand firm, you're going to have to wear something in this piece of clothing. He's, he puts it on as, as humility. You're going to always have to walk into your closet and grab the the cloak of humility. Now, notice in, chat, in verse 5, he transitions from specific people to all. All of you clothe yourselves. It's like tying a knot. You might think of it as a belt. So you've got your, your, your clothes on, but to sort of tie it all together, no matter how wonderful these clothes are, you don't want them to fall off, so you put a belt around. You tie all these other characteristics together with this belt of humility. Now, consider for a moment who's telling us this, Peter. He's our guide. Does he know about pride? Does he know about humility? Oh man, he's a pro. He, he, know, he knows what he's talking about. As, he, as he's beginning to exit life's stage, he's turning back and he's saying, trust me guys, I've, I've fallen into a lot of these holes myself. I understand about humility or the lack of humility. Peter's biggest failure, failures came from a lack of humility, his prideful rebuking of Jesus. Jesus saying, we're going this way, and Peter takes him aside and says, hey, you know what, let's go this way instead. Imagine doing that. Peter's pride 
where he's regularly in arguments with the disciples about who's going to be the greatest. Peter's pride in himself. He severely overestimates his own willpower. Apparently, Peter skipped the lesson when he was a child when the teacher taught from Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. I love how the message puts it. Pride first, then the crash. Peter somehow missed that, and so he falls into a lot of, he crashes a lot in his life, and he's trying to help us all say, hey, don't, don't crash in the same kind of walls that I've crashed into. But the difficulty about pride is it's very hard to see. It, it, it's like it has a million different disguises. So often you think you're, you're swimming along just fine, and then suddenly uh, a great crash, it's too late. You, you find that actually the way you're going is self-destructive. But you can't somehow see it because your pride itself blinds you to the thing that you're doing, which is one reason you need a congregation so uh, people can come around and help you see things that you can't see. One of my favorite stories uh, from Zachary's dating Sarah, who is now his wife, is one of the first visits. It could have been the first visit, but I don't quite remember. Uh, He visited her family. And her family had an outdoor swimming pool, but it was one of those above-ground swimming pools. And so one Sunday afternoon, maybe, they're splashing around in the pool, and Zachary's kind of hanging around. He's got his arms up on the side of the pool. And he decides, like many of you have done, he's going he's gonna to go underwater and push off the side of the pool and, you know, kind of go underwater to the, to the other side. You know, you, you've done that many times. So Zachary, he, he gets down underwater he pushes off the side of the pool and of course all this happened in just a few seconds he thought wow I really pushed off that side of the pool hard because I am really going fast but you know what happened when he pushed off the side of the pool he blew out that side of the pool so now he's not even moving all the water is rushing out of the pool into the yard, but he doesn't know it because he's under the water. And so he gets up, and he hasn't moved at all. In fact, he turns around and finds out that here on one of these first visits to the family, he's destroyed their above-ground pool. Now, what a great story. But do you see the point? Zachary thought, I'm making such great progress here. But he couldn't see that what he had done was self-destructive. That's what happens with pride. You just can't see it. And then suddenly you realize, I've done something that's been self-destructive. And so you, me, we need to ask ourselves seriously. We need to ask somebody else. Is there any place in my life I'm like, Zachary at this moment I'm underwater I think I'm making really great progress but pretty soon I'm going to stand up and realize I've destroyed something to stand firm you need to be in something you need to be in a group of people who whether the you jump and the chasm gives way, the ice gives way, and you fall into a chasm. 
or you pridefully are moving forward thinking you're fine, that you have somebody else there to help you out. Finally, Peter knows that for us to stand firm, there's something we must do. We must resist. It's my favorite word in this passage, resist. Resist him. Peter wants the reader to feel the seriousness of this. This is some of his closing words here in verse 8. He says we have an adversary, the devil, but he compares him to a, to a lion where a lion devours its prey. And he's trying to, to help us be alert so we don't do something foolish, so we don't do something stupid like untying ourselves from the church, like foolishly thinking, well, I can just do the Christian life on my own. I don't need to be tied to the church. That, that's stupid. That's so foolish. That's leading to your own destruction. Or maybe I just don't need other people to weigh into my life about my pride. I feel like I'm making great progress. That's, that's foolishness. Or maybe I just don't want to uh, incline myself to yield. I think all my opinions are the right opinions and everybody should incline to me. Well, I mean, these are things that people do all the time. And so Peter knows it. He's seen himself do it. I've seen myself do it. And maybe you see yourself doing it. So he's saying you've got to resist these things. You've got to put up a, a barrier against these kinds of attitudes or actions. Because if you don't, then you get devoured. Again, Peter knows what he's talking about. Mark 14. He's standing around a little campfire while Jesus is being tortured. Teenage girl comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And he gets devoured. He severely overestimated his own willpower. And he gets devoured by a teenage girl at a campfire. He couldn't, he couldn't see his pride. He couldn't resist. He, he hadn't really prayed. He hadn't, he hadn't readied himself for this moment thought this week, I, I wish I could hear Peter say this word. I mean, what was his tone when he said it? What was, it what, what was his body language? What does his eyes communicate when he says this, resist, resist him? Was it like the, the coach on the sideline of the team and the person's playing football or soccer or whatever it is and they're yelling, is it that kind of feeling? He's, he's coming to the end and he's like a crescendo. Resist, resist. Or maybe, maybe like a mother. Only the way a mom can do. Takes your hands into hers. Sits down very quietly but very forcefully. And says, resist. Resist him. Are you, are you and I willing to really resist? Resist these temptations. There's a great story in church history, France in the 18th century. There's a group of Protestants known as the Huguenots. And they were 
persecuted very violently for their faith in France, and some were killed, some were imprisoned. And in 1729, there was a woman or a young girl. She was 15 years old. Her, her name is Marie Durand. Marie Durand. And the authorities found out that she was a Protestant. She was worshiping as a Protestant. And they said, you can't, you can't worship as a Protestant anymore or we're going to throw you into this tower. It's called the Tower of Constance. And she's 15 and she looks at the authorities and said, I... I I can't deny my faith. Fifteen. Fifteen years old. She's a sophomore in high school. And when the opposing, imposing authorities come to her, she says, I can resist. So they throw her into the tower. Sixteen years later, they come to her. Now she's 32. 31, 32. If you deny your faith that you can get out, you can go free. Here she spent some prime years of her life in this tower, and she still resists. She goes back into the tower with many of the other women, and and she helps them sing songs. She teaches them the psalms. She prays for these women until 1945 when she's 53. She and the other women are all finally set free, 15 to 53. When everyone left, they go into the tower. One word is scratched in the concrete wall. Resist. The one word motto, the one word slogan, every day they woke up, every Lunch, every time they sang, resist, resist, resist. And I kept asking myself this week, am I made of that same kind of strong steel? Is that what my faith could could be in that moment? Am Am I ready to resist? Or am I more like Peter when I'm around a campfire, really not very much threatened, and somebody asked me, and and I, I just don't have the, the strength to resist. Peter understands if we're going to stand firm, especially in turbulent times when you're going to be tested, you're going to need to be able to resist. It's possible that the days ahead for the church are more turbulent than the days behind. And we're going to be called on more than before to stand firm. And we're going to have to be in the church. If you're not connected, if you're not tied into the church, you're, you're going to fall into these deep chasms. You're going to hurt yourself. Maybe you could be lost. You're going to have to wear something. You're going to have to wear this coat of humility. You're going to have to resist. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for Peter and that his life, his library wasn't burned down until he gave us this letter. And here we are 2,000 years later really benefiting from his wisdom. And so I pray for especially us as Christ Community Church 
that we would hear these words this morning as words of life to us. That we would seriously consider these things. Are we tied to other people so that we ourselves don't fall or I have the capacity to help somebody else who may be falling? May we examine our our lives as leaders or congregants. May we all examine our lives for humility and not be fooled by, by pride, not to be blinded to our own pride. Lord, help us to resist by having our feet firmly planted on the truth of the gospel. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.